I come from a long, rich line of Bible readers. My grandmothers, maternal and paternal, were voracious students of the scriptures. My maternal grandmother, in particular, taught me and my family how to write notes in the margins of our Bibles. To this day, if a sermon is particularly moving, or I have a question, or I just want to remember something, I will highlight or write in my Bible, a practice that helps the ancient text feel especially contemporary and resonant. When I was studying the readings for this 13th Sunday after Pentecost, I wrote in the margins of Deuteronomy, can it really be this simple? Can it really be as simple as a choice between life and death, blessing and curse? Can life be split so easily into these two categories of choices? In the same way that we don't come to church to be saved, I hate to break it to you, but to point us toward the things and people and forces that save us. We don't come to church for simple answers to complex questions. At least I don't, I can only speak for myself. We come to church trusting that God is wise and patient enough to sit in the tension of our questions with us. Life is not as simple as the choice between curse and blessing. It isn't now, and it wasn't when Deuteronomy was being composed in the 6th century BCE, an era for ancient Israel defined by the tragedy and injustice and trauma of Babylonian-imposed exile. In the way we talk about life before September 11th in this country, with questions like, will we ever be able to once again accompany loved ones to their departure gates and re reunite with them at their arrival gates? Does anyone remember that? Ancient Jews had profound questions about life before exile. Something like this, they might ask, will we ever travel and trade and cultivate our homeland in relative peace again? Or are we forever sentenced to the uncertainty of life in a strange and hostile land? As time in Babylonian captivity crawled by, different schools of thought began to emerge about why the exile occurred in the first place. As Deuteronomy implies, there were those who convinced themselves that they were exiled from the promised land because of infidelity to the God of Israel, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who delivered them from enslavement in Egypt. Their ancestors, they surmised, must have chosen the cursed path, not the path of blessing, because how else did we end up in exile at all?
it is temporarily comforting. And I use the word temporarily very specifically. It is temporarily comforting to conclude that the exile that you're experiencing or that the attacks on September 11th or the HIV AIDS epidemic of the 1980s and 90s in this country or this waning pandemic has some simple, neat, tidy, and explicable cause. In the wake of every single aforementioned crisis, there were individuals and groups who readily oversimplified each, resulting in not only further tragedy, but in the illusion of control. If I can understand something, the reasoning goes, I can control it. We might come to church to say, we're not in control. We are not in control. And if you've lived any amount of time and have a flash of honesty, it doesn't take long to admit, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I sure don't know how I'm going to get out of here. Oversimplification is comforting, but only superficially and provisionally. Subtlety and nuance around big existential questions and around our own experiences are not as appealing as certitude and absolutism. It is much easier to say, we ended up in exile because we disobeyed God or that public health crisis in the 80s and 90s was caused by irresponsible people, or this pandemic was caused by something in the newest clip I saw on Facebook, or this country was attacked 21 years ago because it abandoned my values. It's easier to say all of that than it is to be honest and say, God, I'm scared. God, I feel vulnerable. God, I need your help. God, I need your help. As I close, this tension is reflected poignantly in St. Paul's very short letter to Philemon, a first century Christian and a slave owner. St. Paul writes this letter from prison where, where he has become acquainted with Onesimus, who is property of Philemon and a recently baptized Christian. Yes, it is as strange coming out of my mouth as it is going into your ears that another person is someone else's property. Most shocking to our post-Civil War sensibilities St. Paul does not overtly advocate for Onesimus's release from slavery. He does, however, in his characteristic messy and circuitous way, remind Philemon that because of the waters of baptism, he and Onesimus share an indissoluble status before God. 
The ubiquitous Christmas hymn refers to this when we sing, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This path of liberation and freedom is not laid out for us with a map, as convenient as that might be, but it is laid out for us with a cross. For it is by, with, and on a cross that the incarnate word, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Lily of the Valley, the Rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the wheel in the middle of the wheel, the friend to the friendless, a mother to the motherless, a strong tower, Mary's baby, Jesus, was lifted high and stretched wide for the life of the world. It is through the humiliation and suffering of the cross that God gains credibility not as a cosmic problem solver, but as a companion in the midst of life's various vicissitudes and challenges. The cross does not resolve the question of slavery or Onesimus's plight. Instead, the cross places God in the middle of Onesimus's life saying, I'm right here with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We'll get through this together. The generosity and compassion of life in God, of life in Christ, of life in the Holy Spirit cannot be distilled into a bumper sticker, nor can it be reduced to a simplistic choice between death and life, curse and blessing. The life we are initiated into in the sacrament of baptism and are sustained by in sacramental bread and wine is sturdy enough to meet the contours and curves of our complex experiences. If I were to give this sermon a title, I would call it, Sometimes Choices Choose Us. Sometimes Choices Choose Us. Because often life is defined not so much by the choices we make as we are defined by the choices that make us. Each of us is a shoreline composed of millions of grains of sand, not of our own making or our own choosing, held together by a God who loves us, who calls us by name, and who keeps inventory of every single grain of sand that makes us who we are. Every dimension of the sacramental life, the water in the font below me, the bread and wine on the altar behind me, bears witness to the outward and visible reality of what we all know intuitively. That if given the choice, God would choose us every single time. Amen.